Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. My name is Uriel Eisen. And I'm Devin Bedoni. And this is our practice edition where we talk about improvements from the week and tie them back to lean principles. Indeed. And our quote, predicting rain doesn't count. Building an arc does. (laughs) Warren Buffett. Uh, I I do like this one. (laughs) It's kind of funny. I mean, to me, it's just sort of like, you know, uh, having ideas doesn't really count. Like it's about reducing them to practice. Yeah. Um, and with lean improvements, I feel like that's definitely part of it is like, yeah, you're not going to save time if you don't try things. Yeah. I think also in the machinist community, like, or at least the part of it that I engage with, um, there's a lot of like, this would be amazing and this is how you should do it. And like, Oh, this is the coolest idea. If you do this and this and this and this, it'll just be like so slick (laughs) guilty. I'm guilty as well. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the day, it's like, it's all just a waste of time unless you actually implement those things, which is so much work. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen that around automation. I feel like a ton of people talk all sorts of stuff about automation and it's like, then you try it and it's like, man, this is pretty simple. Like the it drops apart. Automation it, part. Like there, yeah. And as we've talked about, like there's stages of automation. And mm-hmm. so going after like the first two stages is pretty easy. The last stage is really hard. Mm-hmm. And even the second stage is a little hard. Well, the, the automation part itself is relatively easy. And like everybody says this as well, but it's all of the systems that encompass that, that surround it that are really the challenge. It's like, yeah, I don't know the number of articles I've read now of just being like, they got a pallet pool and bumped their production by 400%. And you're like, cool. Sounds amazing. First, you have to be able to program that many parts. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but uh, again, it's, it's sort of like there. Yeah. There's all this talk about uh, how cool it would be to automate. And it's like, well, maybe just do it. And, see yeah and it's a big step but no no i agree um you do you should absolutely just do it and that also includes like just learning how to program that many parts yeah and just right. ponying up and buying like <laughs> six devices <laughs> yeah like oh god yeah for sure <laughs> ouch um yeah i also like it um i i it makes me chuckle coming from warren buffett because I feel like in the financial markets, uh-huh. there's sort of a lot of talk about like this person predicted X event, like five year, you know, they've been right every time. Oh yeah. And it's like, well then why didn't they invest on that? Like uh-huh. <laughs> if they're so sure about their predictions, some of them probably did. But yeah. And they're yeah. not the ones you're reading about because they're just <laughs> sitting at home being pleased with <laughs> their stacks of cash. Um, yeah. Anyway, improvements from the week. Yeah. Should we go over our, our, our eight wastes first? Oh, yeah. Overproduction, overprocessing, excess inventory, defects, transportation, wasted motion, waiting, wasted human potential. I wonder if you can like judge sort of like the phase of a business by where most of their waste lies. I wonder if there's themes. I mean, you could interesting <laughs> probably it's like early phase waste is everywhere <laughs> late phase yeah <laughs> their waste is only in a couple spots the thing is it wouldn't be stages of a company in terms of size it would be in terms of like lean because there's huge companies that are 
massively not lean. Oh yeah, no, I meant yeah. in terms of their process. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I find I sort of move around between them of what I what I'm noticing week to week. Mm-hmm. I don't know, um, but they are great. I, it's such a useful tool to have that like at your fingertips mm-hmm. because, as I mentioned, we've been starting to do a three. Yeah, and it's been really awesome. In a funny way, um, we were looking at our assembly table and the issue is it's like not good enough. And it's sort of like, well, what does that mean? And uh-huh. so we tried to quantify it. And I'm not sure that this is correct, but we we decided because A3, like the first step is quantifying your current state mm-hmm. in measurable terms that are measured in numbers mm. and like no sort of subjective ideas of like, we need to improve this. This yeah. isn't good enough. This is hard to use. Qualitative. It's like, yeah. So it's like quantitative measurements. Um, So we decided we wanted to aim for um, 288 square inches of free space. And then the second we said that, we walked over to the table and started measuring things. And we're like, oh, like we have one of those small uh, computers Mm -hmm. laying flat on a desk that is like hugely prized territory. It like literally (laughs) never gets interacted with. And it's eight by eight. So that's 64 of those square inches we're seeking. Uh. And it's sort of... It just makes it very approachable. Like direct, if, directs you sort of. Yeah. And I feel like similarly knowing the eight lean wastes or whatever wastes you want to look for in your shop, it just makes something um, really like specific enough that it's noticeable. I don't know. Like if you go around looking for waiting, for examples of waiting, you'll find a whole bunch uh-huh. that you sort of never noticed before. And if you walk around looking for like, overproduction uh, similarly yeah. i don't know it helps notice or for me anyway it's been helpful to have them uh so to, to try to look at processes and go what are the wastes we see here mm-hmm. <clears throat> so should i jump in yeah um we uh, have been on sort of a big push this last week of getting all this new work holding up and functional mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so pretty much everything here has to do with that okay but uh like i mentioned last week we were working on these trunnion tables um and actually getting them operational was quite a bit of work yeah so um luckily quorum is pretty good with like just kind of like general fab and like figuring stuff out mm-hmm. so he did a, a fair amount of the work um so the first thing was he made a new, when I first had added pneumatic vice and gripper to our one S 700 machine, I'd made kind of a quick mount for the valves and regulators. Yep. Didn't have any more room on it. So he made a new one that is a much better layout and has oh, cool. room for, and he pre pre drilled for potentially having eight valve regulator combos. Nice. It's pretty compact. Um, got that mounted up and then added one for the vice that we just added. Um, but I, it should really streamline adding on a flip station with a gripper and any other yeah. pneumatics that we need to have as part of the system. That's cool. So I was pretty excited about <clears throat> that. <clears throat> um, and man, getting those things dialed in was a lot more work than we anticipated in terms of tramming them in to be flat and square Uh, because uh, still not totally sure. Um, So one of them went really smooth and the other one 
was a bit of a challenge and it's not perfect. The suspicion is that, so what was happening, trying to figure out how to explain this to somebody who's not familiar, but basically it's a table. If you imagine like a dinner table and standing at one end and then grabbing it and like rotating it around your waist or not like spinning, but like rotating it, like flipping it upside down. Yeah. That's what this is doing. So the trick is to get the, the pivot on the far end concentric with the pivot at the rotary. Yeah. And to ideally make sure that the table that spans between those two points is perfectly in line with that axis of rotation. Um, so our suspicion was that the rotary maybe wasn't perfectly trammed in initially. Okay. So it was essentially like angled up or something angled to one side. So we would tram it in on one side. And then when you go uh, to the other, it would be totally off cause it was describing a cone sort of. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then also possibly the two, like the junction between the end plates, mm-hmm. the vertical portions and the table were not perfectly square. Okay. We're being pretty picky here. Like to a non-machinist listener, we're talking about like over that distance, half the width of a human hair out over like 20 inches. So it's like, (laughs) we're being pretty picky, um, but kind of wanted to take the time to get it right. Since ideally we'll never be taking it off and it'll reduce wear quite a bit. Yeah. If it's more or less perfect. Right. (laughs) Um, Wearing the bearings. Is that what you're worried about? Yeah. Just all of it. Like, And just unpredictability, being able to transition work holding from one machine to the next potentially without, you know, and know that it's like close yeah. enough to, to repeat. <laughs> yep. Um, that's kind of the biggest issue probably. Cause aside from the wear issue, the way we structure most of our work, if, if everything was cut in place and only on ever on one machine, it kind of wouldn't matter too much. Totally. Um, anyhow. Yeah. It was like. Ariel spent some hours on it and then she was like, I can't get this right. So this is sort of, I'm tying it back to the lean waste Yeah. sort of around. um, I mean, standardization is not a lean waste. It's more like five S or three S sweeps sweep sort standardized, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, having it be able to move across many machines, um, you're probably reducing defects by getting it right. Mm -hmm. Ideally, hopefully. Yeah. Um, also reducing over process or um yeah like over processing of like complicated setups like making things plug and play yeah waiting yeah for one machine like getting mm-hmm. it to run across two machines would reduce waiting from the perspective of the parts mm-hmm. probably yeah um that's a tricky one yeah i'm trying to think um i mean it's very clearly useful yeah and essential to make good parts. Yeah. <laughs> that is your business. Yeah. Um, nice. Um, so we did, uh, as I mentioned last week, a second set of paint racks. So they're very labor intensive to make. Oh, I mean, interesting. we need 16 of them and each one holds eight parts. So you're bending 16 times eight, which is like a bunch, a bunch. um, 140 something. Uh, and, and so that took a while, but it, it sort of allows us to, uh, rack 
a new set of parts while one part while one set of parts is in the oven curing mm -hmm. and so we can kind of get all the parts uh queued up um and so well in some ways let's see i mean that's reducing waiting yeah i think it's mostly reducing waiting it was basically really hard to synchronize the whole shop and if anything went awry we would not be able to produce the number of parts we were hoping to produce that yeah. day. You'd be down a whole batch, basically, and not yeah. able to fill it in. Like even yesterday, which was the first time we ran with two, um, I I take the ferry back and forth, mm -hmm. and I was aiming for the early ferry, but then my plans changed, which let me take the later ferry. If I had taken the earlier ferry, we would not have gotten that second batch done. Uh-huh. Which is not why I changed my plans, but uh, it's still <laughs> worth noting. Like, it's yeah. still tight. It's yeah. still hard. Um, and so there's improvements to be made there. But that was a big one. Um, just kind of... And what let us sort of see it was diagramming out the steps involved and the lead times involved in each step. Uh, or sort of like how much time each process took. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, like fitting two of those in a day, if it's all sequential is really hard uh -huh. and so having that second set of racks let it lets us uh just parallelize the work so it's sort of actually thinking it through this is sort of saying that the racks are maybe not a bottleneck uh -huh. but that they don't have enough throughput per time i guess at peak which is when we're doing a changeover in the a changeover of like parts mm -hmm. right getting taking the painted ones off and putting the new ones on. Yeah. And so there's, we can either make that process faster or we can buy a second piece of equipment yeah. in this case racks uh -huh. <laughs> or make a second piece of equipment. <clears throat> um, right. That's pretty typical production yeah. stuff. I feel You've like obviously thought of adding an oven, right? That is next. Yeah. That is, we we're kind of like yesterday. We were like, all right, <laughs> an yeah. oven is next because it sits in the oven for two hours. Yeah. So if we could just, yeah, it would be huge. Right. And, and you could do like one every hour and just yeah yeah, yeah. no so that's definitely the next thing mm -hmm. i'm trying to figure out how we want to go on those ovens in looking toward a robot mm. i kind of want to think about all that together yeah a tunnel oven would be sweet mm -hmm. but also uh probably enormous unless we build it which like a might. pizza oven right like a flow through pizza oven yeah, like a conveyor belt yeah. kind of in an oven. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, part of our trunnion was adding a second... Part, part of this whole thing was adding a second dual uh, pneumatic vice on yep. our, our high-torque machine. So in the past, when we would wanted to use that system, we would end up, for the most part, running all op ones batching then running all up twos um with the aim of eventually switching to this system very cool um so now that we have two we can do finished parts every cycle uh that's awesome and we're kind of staging this so that like we're gonna get the workflow including the cam side the t cam template side really dialed we'll just run any parts that fit in that envelope on those vices mm-hmm just probably manually to start with and yep. then add gripper um, to the workflow at some point in the near future. Very um, cool. But that was very exciting. And so that's reducing waiting as well. 
And um, overproduction of op one parts, I would say, because overproduction sure, yeah. is the the issue there. One issue with overproduction is defects. Yeah. And op one, op two work is right. classic. Yeah. Like, oh, we didn't catch this until yeah. a finished part was done. And overprocessing, I guess, because you're like extra handling, extra storage. Yeah, and the big one here, and I'm not sure how to fit it into the lean waste, but I run op one and op two on one vice, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of extra work that goes into trying to pack two ops into one set of jaws. Yeah. And so it's way, it seems ridiculous, but um, just breaking it out into two vices makes that process way easier. Way, way simpler. Yeah. Um, we had questions when I put the flip station in place we had a bunch of people which thanks for sending it um Mm -hmm. for sure always fun to see new ideas showed videos of people using a spindle gripper to do the flip Mm -hmm. and there's a few ways of doing it and we've talked about a lot of them and really what it came down to was like it's so worthwhile to develop universal yeah systems that don't take a lot of custom engineering per solution yeah and so like doing those flips yes some parts are gonna allow for it but then you're you need to design your grippers to hold op one op two and have be able to flip and you have to design your vice jaws to have clearance for the flip and op one and op two gripping properly like it just starts to be a lot of requirements and so you're sort of increasing your engineering time substantially on every part instead of doing a bunch of extra engineering and laying out a few extra thousand dollars up front yeah to just have a really universal simple yeah (laughs) solution so i have to say i am jealous of your two vices (laughs) because i'm uh, um there's also an inherent uh waste associated with packing two ops on one vice which is the oversizing of your stock Mm -hmm. to allow for it's not inherent necessarily but but it's often and often (laughs) yeah um very cool um i'm excited to see that whole system running i'm sure not as excited as you are i'm ready i'm really ready uh sam added a shelf between our sandblasting cabinet and our gas out cabinet Uh um in it in sort of in this mission to to run two batches of paint in one day mm-hmm. um, because there was an issue of not having a place for our second batch our second batch in the day as it came out of the sandblasting cabinet if there were parts that were going for the first batch in the oven mm. mixing them really doesn't doesn't make sense from a timing perspective yeah and then also sort of just makes it more confusing when you go to pull stuff out of the oven uh-huh. what are you pulling out so now there's just a, a little shelf that's a you know a buffer essentially for that oven yeah um really nice improvement uh he used a clamp <laughs> and attach a little piece of wood to an existing like a st- bench stud. oh yeah and uh yeah very quick um and the coolest part is definitely seeing um sort of a noted increase in number of improvements that he's kind of been making around the shop mm. and it's really cool to see him kind of yeah f- get it getting into that mindset of like noticing and then just making quick fixes yeah on that note up in the paint department i was I was showing him like um, how like when I mix paint, I have to turn around from where I'm mixing it to enter that info into the computer to tell me how much of part two to add to the paint. Yeah. And I was like, it would be really nice if we set up another computer over here so I could just do it 
at yeah. this bench and he's like what if we just moved the scale next to this computer uh-huh. <laughs> it's like brilliant <laughs> um, so that took all of you know 10 seconds and no money yeah um so yeah like very simple and super <laughs> effective cool um i bought four more shunk manual vices um <clears throat> which was a little painful from a cost standpoint. Okay. And I initially was only going to buy two more. And then I was kind of like, if I'm doing this to reduce setup variability <clears throat> and have a universal cam template, yeah, I need to have it to be universal <laughs> on all the machines. Okay. So I bought enough to have two on each machine if wow. we need. Nice. Um, and the thought is that we will never use any other vices unless they're just too big for what those will hold, which is, I think they hold up to six inches basically. Which so there is, will be a few, but there'll be a handful of things. Yeah. There'll be a handful of things we won't be able to use in them, but, um, and there might be some situations where we'll have to decide whether we want to do op one batch, op two batch with longer parts. Sure. That, um, just because we're going to have them on a trunnion. And so if we need to span two vices, right. They're not dual station. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to kind of make those decisions as they come. But I think that's following the whole 80, 20 rule. That's a very small percentage of our work. Right. So either we'll just deal with it and do op one, op two on those parts when we have to, or we'll pull the trunnion and put standard, yeah. station vices on the table um but so anyway the real improvement here is not so much that we bought the vices that's that they are going to allow us to have hopefully basically two cam templates where one for that vice type and one for the pneumatic vice type and maybe one for orienting them in y and one for orienting them in x or that will that be built into one it'll be built into one so i started working on this last night um basically what it, it's all one template and then you just pick a different origin gotcha that's rotated around that, the center axis um for how you want to orient the vice and you have a different one modeled in or i mean it's just an origin so it's just like oh so it will move the the vice in the model moves when you vice do that? stays the same you just like oh. say instead of this line being x this line is y I don't know if that makes sense. Sort of. I'm not understanding. Does the vice in the model shift? Is are you, No. So you're not modeling for like collisions or how are you? Um, it, well, there, there's... Oh, with that one? Um, I don't usually model the whole vice. I model the jaws. Gotcha. Um, really? Even when doing fourth axis stuff? Mm-hmm. I have just kind of like some rules of thumb. Okay. Uh, for how far you have to stick out to get to center line. Gotcha. And that's probably a quicker way of doing it. Yeah. Also like the thing that's usually going to hit is the spindle casting yep. or something hanging off the spindle casting. And that is harder to model as part of the simulation. I, ch- I made all my own, uh, tool holders and yeah. sort of encompass like added this humongous cylinder on uh, top of each one, which sort of represents the like spindle nose. Uh-huh. I don't think it really gets into the ca- like, beyond that but yeah yeah anyway yeah i thought about that it didn't seem like it was the maybe we will at some point yeah 
especially if we get into five axis work someday or something. Totally. But right for now. And I think they've added uh, machine simulation to fusion. Yeah. I haven't messed with that, but I think yeah. that would let you sort of. Yeah. In theory. Put uh, the actual. For now, it's like, I know the vice is in this case, 160 millimeters wide. So I need to have gotcha. from the bottom of the V flange need to have half that distance. Um, to get to center line. Yep. So that makes sense. Um, I think in general, over, uh, like standardization, probably the biggest waste there is over processing, right? Yeah. Of sort of like needing to rebuild a model every time. Yeah. Because everything is new. Yeah. As soon as I started going down this road, like it's the classic, like you can't unsee it once you've seen it. Yeah. And it with just, just how much time you're spending programming <sighs> the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. Just like, Oh my God. So I also, I didn't actually put this on the list and I'm jumping ahead here, but started working on templating individual tool paths yesterday. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. In the past, I've just like copied and pasted whole programs that were like close enough and yep. then edited. Mm -hmm. um, but the templating tool path thing seems like it could be pretty useful to be able to just kind of like pick from a list as you need to, instead of like, going through and deleting out and and remembering which program you did a thing in that yeah. was similar yeah yeah very cool um so this was mostly around like we've had a bunch of defects on not a bunch but increasing defects on our one inch cams mm -hmm. and Wait, now increasing defects yeah you were you were seeing an increase in defects yes gotcha I thought you said you were increasing defects. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we're working on I mean, increasing our defects. As you were, technically. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we um, had fixed this problem on our three-quarter inch cams, which is basically when we place the stock with the gripper. Yeah. And I will say, we did not look for a root cause of why this is a changing, uh -huh. why our scrap rate is increasing. Uh -huh. So that is definitely on my to-do list. Um, but either way, this is a more robust system. Basically, now we place the block on the vise, the block of aluminum, uh -huh. and then we sort of come down with the gripper fingers and then feed to like to push the block into the right position before mm -hmm. closing the vise. Because before we were sometimes having the block slightly off, and so the part wasn't coming out complete because it was, you know, there wasn't aluminum enough yeah. to contain the part, kind of, if that makes any sense. Um, so that should fix the problem. I sort of re I fixed the programming um, to do that feed move and then ran, you know, two or three of them and then left. So mm. it ran for four hours last night, um, which was a big part that, you know, increasing our run times has been a big part of actually been, being able to double our production. Uh -huh. um, like now we can actually machine all the parts for 120 buckles per day. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> if we're diligent about keeping it up yeah. during the day. So cool. Yeah. So hopefully that fixes that scrap. Um, it, and the really frustrating part there is when you have a defect, I mean, it's a bummer cause it's wasted machine time. It's wasted materials. The real bummer is when it goes all the way through the system. I mean, the worst is when you ship it. Right. Right. Which I don't think we've shipped this defect cause it's pretty visibly apparent, uh -huh. but it's definitely made it to our assembly area or not to our assembly area caught in QC. Mm. But, um, that means we've already put a lot of 
time into painting it into sandblasting it like all this stuff and and then it's also one piece that we can't sell yeah so yeah uh defects is one of the eight lean wastes and we were seeing them so i think it should solve the problem yeah cool um another part of um our trunnion upgrade so we did one on our s700 and then we made a slight variant for our r450 okay so that we can do two fourth op parts on our r450 okay. two fourth op operations rather we have a rotary on one ta- one pallet on that machine not on the other uh-huh um so prior we could do with a like single station angle plate trunnion we could do one fourth op operation and then on the other table or the other pallet, we could do a second three axis. Mm-hmm. Op. Um, so now we can put two vices on that trunnion if we want to, if we need to. Um, part of the part of what we had to do, and something I wanted to do anyways, when they installed the machine, they installed the tool setter just right on one of the T slots, and they put it, they maxed it out in X out of the work envelope at okay. the edge of the work envelope, but in Y it was still quite a bit inside. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in the way. Um, and the trunnion was going to hit it in, when it rotated. So <laughs> I had to move it. I wanted to move it and then I had to move it. Right. Um, so got it out of the envelope. And I, in the process, discovered that the envelope is actually physically larger than I, like I knew the number, but when I'd looked at the table, there's like, uh, it's made from a casting and the sides are rough Okay. and, and in the center it's, it kind of dips down and that's rough and not machined. So there's like a raised area that's machined with the T slots and the table surface. Interesting. And I thought that the edges of the table, uh, both where it falls off the edge and then where it goes it's that center rough section was yeah. the edge of the envelope, but it actually goes like another centimeter past i hmm. think or maybe more so do you put it on center line yeah out of the envelope uh, i put it 50 thou inside in okay. both directions basically yeah um but yeah it's pretty much maxed out nice and wow they really like take clearance to the extreme when the <laughs> when the spindles all the way f- uh towards the divider wall and all the way down there's like three eighths clearance between the divider wall and the spindle. It's like, it's quite impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. Watching Joe over at Cobra frame building mess around with his new, the lathe lathe that man does sub spindle turret. Lathes. <laughs> they seem tricky to program. Yeah. Clearance is a real thing in lathes. Yeah. And I haven't run one. I mean, I've run a manual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never run really that count. You've never run that type of like a live tool y axis yeah. lathe and i you could see it getting in trouble pretty yeah easily. it just seems like your gains in one place directly uh affect you know yeah negatively <laughs> in the other uh-huh like longer tools stick out to get to center line then you're swinging around a longer thing yeah when you move that over anyway i this is a tangent but i um I can see really strong arguments for having everything in one machine and not handling it and getting finished parts out of stock. I can also see really strong arguments for letting a lathe do what a lathe does and letting a mill do what a mill does and creating a cell. Mm -hmm. And I really don't have a 
good answer at this point for where we'll end up going in the long run. Um, Robot on a track. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like how versatile can you make a cell, basically. Yeah. And how automated can you make a cell? But it seems yeah, like... Yeah, while maintaining versatility, I think, is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, versatility, like, in theory, from the, like, programming and setup point, standpoint, programming and setting up to, simp- like, a simple two-axis lathe operation. Yeah. And a simple three-axis mill operation is probably going to be more straightforward and simple and, like, repeatable than a complicated Y-axis dual spindle operation. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so it's, yeah, it's like, uh, but it's this weird thing. Like I, without, I don't even know how you would start to spreadsheet it either on like breaking out where your wins and losses would be. Cause there's so many variables that I feel like there's a lot of what really matters at the end of the day, you might not be able to predict or see. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. Me too. I don't know. I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, we are coming up on time here. Um, we did uh, one other that's worth mentioning is adding a webbing rack. Yeah. Because uh, I asked Sam, we've been having issues with, well, we had two parts go out of stock. Um, oh. And so it was kind of like, what's going on? Uh, the answer is um, production leveling is important when you're using a Kanban system, I guess, which is why <laughs> Toyota does it. Um, and so... I sort of was asking, like, why are we uh, having spikes in production? And what it came down to is that we were running an order with a unique webbing Mm. style. And to run that, we only had enough webbing racks for our existing styles. And so we had to change one over. Mm. And just that, I mean, it takes like two minutes. But just doing that, it was much more tempting to batch. And so what was happening is we were doing a whole bunch of that big order and then doing a whole bunch of individual orders. Um, the effect of that is that you, you, yeah, you bang through a lot of individual orders and that ran um, a product out of stock. So we added another webbing rack and so that reduces uh, changeover time. So most temptation to batch is a result of high changeover time. Yeah. And so we basically eliminated that temptation. And so now we're gonna get back to more level production where we can do like 10 of the big order and then 10 uh-huh. small orders 10 you know that kind of thing cool right on very last one for me is we started negotiating a lease on a new space wow yeah that's big it's exciting uh very cool more on that later assuming things things progress in a positive (laughs) direction awesome uh but yeah big big stuff that's very cool so i think that wraps us up for the week thank you all for listening we will see you uh, in additional several days. Yes.